Welcome to the Vandenack Weaver Legal Visionaries Podcast, brought to you by Interactive Legal. Here's your host, Mary Vandenack. Welcome to today's episode of Legal Visionaries, a weekly podcast discussing updated legal news, as well as evolving methods of providing legal service. I'm Mary Vandenack, founder and host of Legal Visionaries. I will be your host as we talk to experts from around the country about legal and tax issues, trusts and estates, business succession and exit planning, law practice technology, management, leadership, and occasionally well-being. First of all, I do want to thank our sponsors, Interactive Legal, Foster Group, Veterans Victory Housing and Business Centers, and Carson Private Client. Here's a message from Interactive Legal. Technology has become an essential part of our daily lives. However, not all fields have embraced technology. Lawyers, especially estate planning attorneys, need to stay up to date with specific laws and any issues affecting taxes and wealth preservation. Implementing an automated drafting system can help lawyers spend more time with their clients and less time doing back office tasks. Estate planners and law professionals turn to Interactive Legal as their main resource for the latest planning strategies. Interactive Legal provides the most comprehensive productivity system on the market with an easy-to-use document drafting system, extensive continuing education, thought-provoking discussion forums, and more. With Interactive Legal, attorneys get to spend more time with their clients. It's time to connect, collaborate, and create. To learn more about Interactive Legal, visit interactivelegal.com. Wealth planning focuses on liquidity management and charges you a fee based on a percentage of your assets. But entrepreneurs typically invest in their business, resulting in light liquidity. That requires a unique strategy. At Carson Private Client, we provide a proactive and holistic strategy for building and protecting your wealth. Our mission is to alleviate the stresses and the burdens of coordinating all of those financial strategies. Carson Private Client will work with your current team of advisors to customize a strategy that manages all aspects of your life and wealth, giving you back the time to focus on what matters most. Complex needs require sophisticated solutions. Reach out to our office at 402-779-8989 to schedule your consultation. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. On today's episode, my guest is Tracy Solinsky. Tracy is a partner at the Chicago-based law firm of Duggan Birch LLC. I will note that while Duggan Birch is based in Chicago, it has an Omaha office that will be including myself, and actually has attorneys in several locations across the country. With more than two decades of experience in both private practice and as a senior leader in various in-house roles, Tracy is a trusted advisor and counselor to healthcare organizations, offering strategic counsel on a broad range of healthcare, regulatory, corporate, and compliance matters. Prior to joining Duggan Birch, Tracy was counsel at an AMLAW 100 law firm, and prior to that, served as an in-house general counsel and senior vice president of Legal for Illinois' largest multi-specialty physician-directed medical group. 
So, oh my God, yeah. It was so fantastic. I asked Tracy, so we were just talking about, we both have a passion for healthcare and I really loved her background. And so that's an area that I really need to get some coverage on my podcast because there's been a lot of transactions that have come you know, my way this year. And so one of the topics we talked about that Tracy is an expert on that we're going to discuss today is private equity in healthcare. Well, first of all, thanks so much for joining me to discuss this topic today, Tracy. Hi, Mary. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here and to have the opportunity to talk about this exciting topic. Private equity investments have certainly generated quite a bit of attention in the healthcare space, and my clients regularly reach out to me with questions about this topic. PE firms are investing in a variety of healthcare providers, including hospitals, health systems, and nursing facilities. However, for purposes of this podcast, I'd like to focus on private equity investments in and the impact upon physician practices. So we're really hearing a lot about this topic, and I've seen a lot of different types of structures evolving in terms of you know, making themselves attractive, you know, make physician groups making themselves attractive for private equity investments, et cetera. But just how have these private equity investments in healthcare proliferated? How big is the investment in healthcare? Sure. By way of reference, let's look back over the last 10 years or so. In 2012, there were a reported 75 private equity deals for physician practices across a wide range of specialties. By 2021, there were a reported 484 deals, marking a more than six-fold increase. And in that same year, global healthcare buyouts exceeded the $200 billion mark in annual deal value. Yes, that is $1 billion with a B. So we are talking very big money here. And these deal dollars may be underreported given private equity sponsors are not subject to reporting requirements in contrast to public corporations. Not only PE firms are getting in on the action, some notable corporate healthcare transactions in the past few years include, and these are on the public side, Amazon's purchase of one medical for $3.94 billion. Optum's acquisition of Healthcare Associates of Texas for $300 million, CVS's $10.6 billion acquisition of Oak Street Health, and Village MD, which is a Walgreens subsidiary, recently acquired Summit Health City MD for $8.9 billion. While these large mega deal transactions have garnered a significant amount of attention, we have seen a trend over the past couple of years towards a greater portion of deal volume being driven by smaller roll-ups and add-ons or complementary transactions as opposed to these mega and platform deals. And I have to just share a little story. So I know like with the Amazon and the One Medical, I think you can actually go to Amazon.com and schedule a medical call. And I didn't even realize that was there until my son was sick one day and I was trying to get him to go to a doctor. And he goes, oh, mom, I just called the Amazon doctor. I was like, what? 
I didn't even know there was such a thing. <laughs> but yes, they, they are seemingly taking over the world and the world of healthcare as well, really capitalizing upon uh, this demand and, you know, making it really easy um, to get appointments and to get prescriptions. Which is, you know, it can be a challenge. So I can see that there is a place in the market, but let's just dive in a little further and what is private equity's interest in the healthcare industry? Yeah, so there are a few factors that are are driving the interest, and it's it's it really relates back to PE sponsors holding large levels of capital that they need to deploy, and healthcare is generally thought to be recession resistant. Another driving factor is that physician practices often represent profit opportunities, in particular, those that offer higher margin specialties such as dermatology, plastics, orthopedics, and gastroenterology. Strong profit profiles are often achieved through optimization of both clinical and non-clinical operations, largely through expansion of clinical and ancillary services and through back office and supply chain efficiencies. In fact, PE sponsors are typically underwriting a 20% or more internal rate of return over an approximately five-year holding period of their investment. Further, the market is highly fragmented, and for various reasons, the independent practitioner model is on the decline, making the market ripe for consolidation. And so that private independent practitioner model on the decline, which makes me a little sad, to be honest, but is definitely accurate. But why are providers so interested in selling out to private equity? Healthcare sector dynamics are changing as well as patient expectations. Mary, you just referenced uh, your son making an appointment through Amazon. Well, patients are becoming very demanding with respect to healthcare and their expectations are very much elevated. For example, not only are patients demanding more access and faster access to their practitioners, they're demanding more access to healthcare technology, whether to communicate with their providers, make or check into an appointment, or for quick and easy access to test results. Um, They really like to do this over their cell phone, iPad, or other personal electronic devices. These changing dynamics, coupled with the continued rise in healthcare costs, are really putting pressure on providers to adapt and reinvent processes to optimize the the quadruple aim performance metrics of improving experience, reducing the cost of healthcare, improving overall population health, and reducing or preventing physician burnout. A private equity investment brings an infusion of capital, a platform to offboard administrative burden, and has the potential to accelerate growth opportunities and add strategic resources, all of which can be quite compelling benefits when faced with these industry headwinds. Also, while practice purchase price values have significantly elevated over the past year, And EBITDA multiples, while they have softened from their peak of a few years ago, remain around 13.6x across various subsectors. This means potentially significant returns for younger physician investors upon a subsequent buyout of their rollover equity. 
and potentially significant payout for those physicians looking to wind down and retire upon an, an initial PE transaction. And in your traditional private practice world, that was always an issue for young physicians as they came into a practice that had been around for a long time and perhaps owned a building and had really developed strong you know, things. And I guess the other thing, seeing why your provider's interested, if you're a physician and you've got four kids who are heading off to college and they all want to, that might be pretty attractive to get those types of numbers. Looks like there's other advantages here, though, for physician practice. What are, you, what are those? Yes. Um, you know, as I just mentioned, it removes the administrative and non-clinical operational duties from the clinicians, which is really huge when you're looking at, um, you know, physicians who are growing a practice and they're really focusing on providing the health care to their patients. Also, access to capital may enable a practice to keep up with advancing health technologies, including, you know, upgrading EMR, um, helping with HR and IT systems, as well as other major capital investments. And of course, with more capital comes the opportunity for improved office infrastructure, improved patient experience, and improved clinic workflow and operations. Payer contracting optimization may provide increased bargaining power and result in higher reimbursement rates as well. So these are just some of the advantages of a private equity infusion. We are going to take a brief break from our episode for a word from one of our sponsors. Financial advice is useless without empathy. At Foster Group, we want to hear your story, your goals, your worries about the future. Only then can we help you feel confident about all aspects of your financial life. Come experience how it feels to be truly cared for at Foster Group. Connect with us at fostergrp.com. Foster Group's written disclosure brochure, as set forth in Part 2A of Form ADV, discusses advisory services and fees, is available at www.fostergrp.com. Okay, let's continue our episode. So I know as a patient, I went to see a particular physician who was familiar with a particular type of testing, and I saw another physician in the exact same practice, and I said, well, I went to, you know, Physician X, and we did this testing. And Physician Y says, well, I never even heard about that. So for a physician, rather than dealing with all the administrative aspects of their practice, it allows them really to focus on the practice of medicine a little bit and to have access to some of those advanced technologies. So there do seem to be some fairly significant advantages to private equity investments in physician practices, but what are some of the challenges? Well, this is a really important question. You know, I I see clients get, um, you know, really enamored with the idea of, a big payout, um, but there there are some um, challenges that they do want to consider and contemplate. 
individual physician equity stakes in a PE investment can make up a significant purchase of the purchase price consideration. And we've seen clients so focused on potential significant increases in the value of that equity that they often ignore certain considerations. And physicians really should also consider that there may be potential uncertainty as to when and how their rollover equity will be realized. So that's a really important point because that is what I am seeing in these deals. And when you're saying that, I'm just going to clarify. So clarify further for me if I'm not on track. But so you're not selling out 100%. Part of what you're getting in value is I'm getting an equity interest, maybe some stock, whatever the interest is, in the venture on a go-forward basis that I may or may not be able to cash out, may or may not actually grow in value. But sometimes this gets looked at as like, oh, this is like owning Apple stock early in the pandemic. And it's not always the case, so you really need to dig into the what's and how's of how that structure works when you'll actually get the rest of it. And I always kind of like to say, Tracy, make sure you get enough up front. Yeah, that's exactly right. In a lot of these deals, we see um, rollover equity in the 20 to 40% range. Oftentimes it can be higher. Um, and you're, you're absolutely right, Mary. You know, these investments may not make money. They're private equity investments versus public corporation investments. So there are different reporting requirements and, um, you know, they, they are in fact a security, but they're not publicly tradable. So, um, oftentimes, actually most times and, and probably in all circumstances, an equity holder is, um, really compelled to hold because they're they're unable to sell because there really is no market for the particular equity holding. Uh, in fact, I have a client now who uh, was required um, by the private equity um, sponsor to have the physicians roll over 80% of the value. So that can be a lot of value uh, that can be locked up for quite a long period of time. Um, and there's no guarantee on the back end that it will be worth um, more than what it was at the initial transaction. When I've seen a couple, you know, despite all the professionals going in with five-year contracts, still seeing the group blow up and people say, I don't care, I'm leaving. And so then your investment goes with it because the professionals are often a part of that value if you're selling a, a practice. What are some other mm-hmm. considerations, Tracy? So uh, more challenges, um, you know, unfortunately lie ahead for um, physicians considering a PE uh, investment. And um, one of those uh, relates to the debt burden. Uh, The physician practice will most likely assume a large amount of debt to finance a transaction. And the liability to pay back the debt facility is on the physician practice. You know, you have to remember, um, and our, our, you know, people listening and our clients have to remember that, you know, the PE sponsor there is there to make money and they're, they're not there to assume um, 
any debt. So unfortunately, the, the debt facilities do fall back onto the physician practice. I mentioned earlier that a PE sponsor's annual return on investment expectations typically are at or exceed 20% annually. So the pressure is really on the clinic leaders to grow the practice and to expand access. This typically results in additional pressures for the providers to increase revenue streams, such as elective procedures and ancillaries, to direct more referrals internally and to implement changes which may impact the practice's delivery of care. For example, the practice may need to increase the use of lower cost clinicians and or expand higher margin and higher volume services, primary care and value-based service models while reducing or discontinuing those services which are deemed less profitable. This, of course, can have a lasting negative effect on a practice and its patients as those patients lose access to certain services deemed less profitable and results in the patients being transferred to other providers for continuity of care purposes, and, and that's providers outside of the particular physician group. So a practice should also understand which physicians benefit from increased equipment or capital improvement expenditures. Practices need to ask which physicians in the group share in the savings or increased revenue resulting from those capital expenditures. Conversely, which physicians may be negatively impacted from decreased expenditures, meaning what if resources are directed away from those providers that are deemed to be less profitable and they aren't provided with the equipment and or staff they need or want. This has been uh, an issue with several clients of mine um, as I've moved back into private practice. And, uh, you know, these are this isn't something or these issues are something that physicians often uh, think about, but they really have to take a good hard look on on what the private equity sponsor is looking for and, and to try to understand that at least um, some of the PE sponsors goals with respect to growing and managing the practice are aligned with the physician group. So there are a lot of questions here. Um, there's a lot to think about. You know, I have to just share a story, and it's for a healthcare. We had a healthcare client, and my original partner that founded my firm with me actually took on the role of CEO of one of our clients who's in the healthcare space, got bought out by private equity. And I just have to share a comment he made to me, which was, well, private equity doesn't necessarily understand that there's really only 160 hours in a week. <laughs> and I think that's you know an appropriate comment in that what private equity does is come in purchases and tries to make these changes and the goal is to you increase the profits and turn around and sell it and that's what is what drives private equity versus necessarily a physician who may hey I really care about patient care because I say one of the comments you made in that part of the discussion Tracy was just about pushing everything down to lower cost providers, which actually makes sense. That's something we do in our business as well, right? It makes sense to the extent somebody's capable of doing it. But we are seeing a lot of changes in terms of primary care being handled a lot more by nurse practitioners or your Amazon 
calls, which I guess yes. I don't even know what the qualifications. I'll have to check into that. But let's just talk about what other things phys- physicians should consider. So from a practice perspective, and I'm talking about the clinical practice perspective, of course, the physicians should maintain governance authority over their other clinicians and over the the physician practice itself. And I don't mean just seeing the requisite language in the deal documents, which state that the management service organization or the private equity sponsor entity won't retain any power to exert control over or interfere with the clinical judgment of the physicians or their healthcare providers in the treatment of the practice's patients. What I mean here is that the physicians should retain the right to elect and or replace the designated physician owner and to retain board seats at the management board level. This will um, give them uh, a, a voice. It may not be a majority voice, but it will give them um, a majority voice at the private equity sponsor level. And at least concerns can be discussed and aired at that management board level. It's also important that the physicians understand that there are um, personal estate planning and income tax considerations to be taken into account as physician investors. And we're, we're pivoting a little bit, obviously, from the practice considerations to individual considerations. But, you know, I, I saw this all the time in-house. I, I would get, you know, a lot of physicians coming up to me saying, you know, I, I just don't know what I need to do from an estate planning perspective or, you know, how am I going to be taxed on these profit interests or this this equity that I hold? So, um, you know, the, the profit interest or the equity is, is we've talked, you know, it could potentially present um, a significant growth opportunity um, given the growth potential. However, uh, the transferability of the profit interests or um, uh, or stock uh, or the equity for estate planning purposes may be prohibited or limited by the MSO governing documents. Now, this is something I found um, in my in-house career. It's fairly easy to navigate around. Um, Meaning, um, you know, I've I've gone to management boards and said, "Hey, can we can we amend or modify the operating agreement to allow transferability for estate planning issues?" However, um, you know, a, a lot of times these boards are focusing on growth. You know, we've talked about the twenty percent internal rate of return annually. Uh, we've we've talked about growing uh, the practice in other ways. So. What it really comes down to, it's it's much easier to address these issues um, before the deal is signed and before the documents are signed, because really on the back end of a deal, you know, people are often and running and working hard and, and um, you know, individual estate planning concerns uh, tend to fall uh, to the wayside. Um, also from the income tax side, an individual physician that holds equity in the form of profit and will want to um, file an 83B election for potential income tax advantage treatment upon a subsequent sale of of the equity. So 
Um, you know, of course, the tax and estate planning considerations are um, very um, fact and circumstance uh, dependent, and they're also dependent upon which of the various types of equity a physician investor holds. But it's worth mentioning these issues here as uh, these considerations are often overlooked and it becomes a real scramble when um, a, a an equity holder, a physician equity holder, uh, needs to do some tax planning or estate planning. Well, and as you know, I really appreciate you mentioning that since I'm passionate about everything tax and estate planning related. And I would just, I'm just going to footnote what I think is the really important comment. Well, they're all important, but one that's really important to me is that you know, as we're recording this, we're closing in on a year end and uh, you get, we'll get calls the, the day before year end. Can you close this deal? Can you? And the answer is no. And the same thing is they've signed a letter of intent. Can we figure out my tax planning? So physician practices, just like any other business, and we've done a whole series of podcast episodes on business exit planning is the best planning is thinking about this well ahead of time. Like I'm working with one practice right now who is doing one of these interesting combinations with practices across the country, positioning themselves and are actually considering all of those things. But it's very much that those of us who assist physicians in the practice cells can do a lot better job if we work a little bit ahead and probably save them a lot more money. Any last thoughts on this topic, Tracy? Um, yes, I, I completely agree with those statements, not only saving um, uh, time and money, but I think a lot of stress as well. So, uh, yes, as far as last thoughts, um, you know, well, it is important to remember that the goal of any private equity sponsor is to optimize operations in order to meet aggressive uh, return expectations. Uh, physicians considering a private equity investment have myriad considerations to take into account when analyzing whether the transaction is appropriate for the practice. And, you know, they want to ensure that the objective of the sponsor does not negatively impact patient well-being once the deal is closed. And something you mentioned earlier in the podcast is also the physician well-being. You want to make sure, and that's part of why that planning piece is important, you want to make sure that going into this different structure is not just a good thing financially, but a good thing in terms of, you know, you lo you like going into work. And at the end of the day, you, you feel good about what you did. Well, as we reach the end of our episode, I want to thank our sponsors, Interactive Legal, Foster Group, Veterans Victory, and Carson Private Client. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to today's episode and stay tuned for our weekly releases. Vandenack Weaver Legal Visionaries is made available by the firm and its attorneys for educational purposes and to provide general information, not to provide specific legal advice. Use of the Vandenack Weaver Legal Visionaries podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship between you and the firm or any of its attorneys. The Vandenack Weaver Legal Visionaries podcast should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice, and you should contact an attorney in your state about any legal needs or questions you may have. A Huda Media Production.